And Lord, as we've prayed and petitioned for young ones' lives um, who are in in dangerous situations, uh, we also want to take time to praise you and thank you for the celebration of a new life with baby Tucker um, with the, from the Burke family, just that um, you brought in a new, precious, valuable little gem into their lives. Now they have three, <laughs> and we just thank you for it. And um, just pray your hand of blessing on the family. There's There's been... I think three or four babies born just recently in this church, and we're so blessed to have new life that you breathed. Um, and we look forward to being nothing but a witness of you to them and um, and family to them and um, long to come alongside them. We thank you for the opportunity to stand here and, and praise your name publicly. We just uh, we come here to honor you. We ask that um, that you would be honored by our worship, that it would be pure worship to you, that you would be honored as holy. Um, and that we would be here to do your kingdom work for your name, for your namesake, and for your will, following your will perfectly. It's our desire, Lord. Uh, work that in us today. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bible with you and you want to open to where we're going to be mainly studying, you can go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be spending most of our time um, studying kind of be all over the place again, as this is a topical study like we were last week, but um, chapter 6 is kind of the main point. But if you remember last week, we talked about fasting, okay? We talked about fasting as a way to self-discipline the body. It's a choice we make when we fast. We decide to do that, self-discipline. And we self-discipline the body in order to focus the mind to enter into prayer. It actually focuses us, focuses us between our relationship, um, w- between ourselves and God. So it disciplines our mind for prayer. So the very natural step that follows, of course, is prayer. So that's what we're talking about today. So we're going to dive into prayer. Um, there's not going to be anything I talk about today that's revolutionary, that will blow anybody's mind. It's not like you guys haven't read these passages before. That's not the purpose of this. This isn't uncovering new information. It is simply bringing back to mind the words of God and um, as an encouragement and a reminder of how we are to be in prayer and the fact that our relationship with God being a relationship, all relationships are based on communication. And so it's really important to keep that in mind as we're going forward, what the essence of prayer is. At its very foundation, prayer is communication. That's all it is. It's just simple communication. That's what prayer is all about. It's communication. And um, for prayer to have any value, for communication to have any value, there must be somebody on the other end, right? Talking to the wind does no good. So in order for prayer to have any value, we must first actually believe that who we are talking to is the real, true, and living God on the other side. And that he actually hears us and he's actually there. That is what makes our prayer actually worthwhile. Lots of people pray to all sorts of things, and they are praying to the wind. (laughs) And the thing about wind is the wind does not hear us, the wind does not care about us, and the wind certainly has no power to do anything for us whatsoever. Light little breeze on some sweat can cool you down. That's about as good as it's for. (laughs) That's all we get. Some wind power, I suppose. But prayer to God is our only option for communication with God. Communication. It's a, we can do works for them and things, but for communication, prayer is it. That's all there is. It's all we're given. Uh, I mean, all we're given. That's everything. But it's literally our one way of communicating with God. Heaven does not have any type of mail service. We have all sorts of forms of communication here. In heaven, it's not. They don't have a mail service. When we pray to God, there is no handoff. 
There's no in-between. There's no handoff. It's not like sending a letter where God will open at his leisure later, or he'll answer that text later, or he'll get back to your call later. That's not how it works with God. It's far more intense than that. It's far more intense than that. When we enter into prayer with God, he is literally right in front of us. As soon as we start talking to him, he is right in front of us, actively listening, not just hearing, listening to us. I made this joke in the first service. If you have a spouse or you have kids, you know the difference between hearing and listening. (laughs) There's a big difference. There's no blank stares coming from God. And he is listening to everything that we have to say to him so long as we are seeking his will and we believe that he is real and we have the faith that he is hearing us. If you can think of a time that you sat down one-on-one with someone and had their full attention, you needed to have a hard talk and you had their full attention, you needed to get stuff done, that's what we get from God every time. Just like that. It's instant. We have his full attention that we when we are seeking him according to his will. First John five fourteen um, says it very plain and clear. I like to bring scripture to back up any point I make, otherwise it's a worthless point. It says this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Says we have this confidence. It is our confidence. We know that if we are seeking something according to his will, he absolutely hears us. We have that promise from scripture. It's not a maybe, it's a guarantee. I think we struggle with faith sometimes. Hearing in the sense that John is speaking of is God's ability to hear, not human ability, God's ability to hear. That is to fully understand. It's the next level of communication. Fully understanding. You know the difference between hearing and listening, but even when someone's listening, they may not fully understand what it is you're saying. God doesn't have that problem. We don't know how to articulate things sometimes. God knows exactly what's on our heart, even when we can't form the words. He fully understands us. There's no blank stare or misunderstanding on God's end. God's mind never trails off or shuts down. Ours may, his doesn't. He's always the strong anchor in any part of our lives. We may fail, he does not. Communication is considered to be the most important part of almost anything, any political group, company, entertainment platform. Especially if you're trying to make money, pretty much everyone is on earth, Communication. It's number one. It's key. Advertising. Everything. Communication to the public. Your face to the public means everything. And the thing that communication is most important in is relationships. Relationships. A relationship without communication is like this. It's like a door on an empty building. Okay? A relationship without communication is like a door on an empty building. The building is completely lifeless without communication, but, but full of potential. Because it's not too late to open the door and start putting life into it. You fill a house with people, it will be full of life. You want to fill a relationship with life, you need to open the door to let people in. In this case, let God in. That's how you fill your relationship with God with life. You open that door, communication. 
This is not a revolutionary point of view. We all know this. In fact, if you do a Google search on the key to relationship, this is what you get. Um, I didn't write this down as like good information for us to follow. Um, it's just that the world even sees, views it this way. This is what the world has to say. If you search the key to relationship, top result in Google, open, honest, and safe communication is a fundamental part of a healthy relationship. The first step to building a relationship is making sure that you both understand each other's needs and expectations. Being on the same page is very important. That means you have to talk to each other. So Google says, and that's from loveisrespect.org. I don't recommend going there. I don't know what they're about. Probably not good things. But that's what the world says. Everybody knows relationship are built on communication. There's other things you'll find in the list. You'll find commitment. You'll find respect. Those are all obviously very important. All of those things will fall through the cracks if you are not communicating. Everyone knows this from friendships to romantic interests to family. Without communication, all the other things fall through the cracks. I think we agree on the importance of communication in a relationship. The hard part is when we're not good at communicating. That's when it gets tough. Sometimes you can have the right heart. You can have the desire to communicate properly. I've seen this a lot with, like, guys are just known for not being good communicators. It's a fact. Like, you see this a lot in couples mentoring. It's like the guy will have the right heart. He's like, I want to make our relationship better. I want to make her happy. I just don't really know how to do it. I don't know how to communicate it. It's a struggle. Everybody feels that sometimes, too, though. It's not just us guys. Sometimes, sometimes you ladies don't know how to communicate things, too especially if you're talking to your husband. <laughs> but sometimes effort doesn't produce good communication because we don't know how to communicate properly. Sometimes effort doesn't do it. I think that's why God saw fit to teach us. He literally writes out, speaks out, and then had someone write later exactly how to communicate with him. He's like, I made you. I know your IQ. I know you need this. <laughs> I'm going to send my son. And he's going to teach you how to do it. He loves us. That's why he wants to communicate with us. And he knows we would need help honing good communication skills. So in Matthew chapter 6, this is what Jesus has to say. I'm going to start in verse 5. Verse 5. I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to start in verse 5. And this is what he says. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have the reward. What's the reward? People saw them. They felt good about it. Good for them. Verse 6 has nothing to do with God, though. The relationship was not built. They just, that's the reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. The short of this passage, if you were to break it down, the short of it is basically this. Prayer isn't a religious show and tell. It's between you and God. That's its purpose. It's a conversation, not a show. I don't think we struggle with that too much, although... <laughs> I don't know about you guys. When we pray publicly, I get super nervous, almost sweaty of like, if I don't sound holy, I'm going to be judged. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to sound smooth. Where's my golden tongue? Why does it feel like lead? You know, like you get nervous. It's just not about that. 
us coming together as a body is just simply us talking to God together in conversation. It's so simple, so straightforward. And then point two, that we speak very simply and straightforward. It's a conversation with God, not a ritual or ceremony to be filled with mantras or rehearsed phrases. Again, not really something we have a struggle with. Uh, that would be very surprising. And then point three, God knows what we need before we ask him. And I would add, I would add this, I think quite safely, that he knows what we really need even when we don't. Even when we don't. I think that's really important because this is where faith comes in. When we're praying for his will, sometimes we don't know what we're praying for. But if our heart is genuinely that God's will would be done, the Spirit intercedes, and God's and what we're praying for is genuine. It's genuine. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan said this, and I'll put it up on screen for you to see. He says, if we learn to pray this way, a great deal of praying will cease, and a great deal of praying will begin. And that's so... Um, that's so enlightening because you're going to cut out when you pray this way. You're, it's a simple conversation between you and God. You're going to cut out all the junk, all the nonsense, all the errors, all the, the, the things that people try to do to make it sound genuine. All, you're going to cut all that out. You're going to get rid of it all. It's going to be a straightforward conversation, and you're going to get stuff done. You're actually going to pray. You're actually going to talk to God genuinely as if he was right in front of you, because he is. Because he is. So that brings us to the Lord's Prayer. This is where Jesus teaches us exactly um, the things to pray for. You'll notice this. And I'm, this again, this is not going to be revolutionary. You guys know, I'm sure, that Jesus is not telling us, every time you pray, say exactly these words. That's not what he gives us these words for. He tells us how to pray and what to pray for. Verse 9, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. In other words, in everything we do, say and ask for, your name be seen as holy according to your will in it. So when you start your day and you're going to work and you're praying specifically for your day at work, this should be on your lips that everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think should be honoring God's name as holy. doesn't necessarily mean you're worshiping him all the time. It means that you, what you give off to the world around you is that God is holy. And when you're praying for other people and you're interceding for other people, you should be praying that in the situation they're in and your conduct with that person, that what would happen at the end of this is that God would be honored as holy. And that writes our um, agenda, it takes away our agenda and makes it God's. If God is to be seen as holy in a situation, there's going to be nothing evil that you can say or do that will accomplish that. Nothing for yourself that will accomplish that goal of making God's name holy. So when we have that in our hearts, when we have that in our minds, it directs us. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Again, you could say, in everything we do, say and ask for, let it be, excuse me, for your kingdom, according to your will. For your kingdom. 
If we walk out our door and in our heart and in our mind, we are fighting for God's kingdom in the lives that we are encountering, in the workspace that we're in, in our conversations, in our conduct, if our goal is that God's kingdom would be increased, that leaves room for only one thing. God to be the one who is seen, because it's about him, not us. Again, that writes our mind, it aligns us with his heart, his goals for the world, is that everyone would come to him and know him as their savior. So that aligns our heart with his. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll ask you this, how often is God's will done in heaven? <laughs> Always. Literally. If you think about it, I never thought about this until I started studying for this, but there's no evil in heaven. Like Satan was kicked out. He's gone. He's not allowed up there, right? So there's no sin in heaven. So when he says that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's literally saying always and perfectly. God's will is done perfectly and always in heaven. It's a mess down here. I mean, he's still in control. His will is not is not um, thwarted, that's for sure. But he allows people to have free will, and we don't always follow his way. In heaven, not so much. Every single person, creature, being in heaven is following God's will perfectly. So when we walk out those doors and we pray that in our heart, what we are saying is that our goal for the day is that God's will, whatever he would have done, regardless of our own agenda, would be done perfectly, always, for the whole day. Give us today our daily bread. We are to ask God for the daily needs. And the daily needs stretch from spiritual needs, emotional needs, physical needs. Food is only a small part of it. Jesus spoke often about the bread of life, about how we don't live on uh, bread alone, but by on every word of God. That's what we live on. It's more complicated than just simply food. It's everything, everything that we need. How many times do we walk into a conversation we weren't ready for? And all of a sudden, we need to know how to forgive like Jesus did. Or all of a sudden, we need to have grace like Jesus had. Or all of a sudden, we need to see their soul the way Jesus does. He can supply all that. Everything that is needed, Jesus supplies. He just asks us to spend the time to talk to him and ask for it, to write our minds and set our heart in the same direction he's going. This is what I'm doing Line yourself with me. That's what he's asking us to do. Notice, that too, that it's daily bread. Not weekly, not come talk to me, ask for this at the beginning of the week, and I'll give you bread for the whole week. It's more like manna this way. You know, in, in um, the Exodus, manna would go bad if they didn't use it daily. They were reliant on God daily. Same thing with prayer. He wants us to come to him for our daily provision. This is not a not an occasional thing. We are not supplied until we have asked God to supply us every day. How many of us are chronically hungry? How many of us are starving half the week, thirsty half the week, because we didn't go to God and ask for provisions? And then in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. 
But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. I want to address this really quick. This is not talking about if you, if there's someone in your life that you haven't forgiven and you die, you're going to go to hell. This is talking about getting your heart right with God. Daily, we're supposed to get our heart right with God. You can be saved and not have your heart right with God. And in this prayer, he's saying that you are to forgive others and then ask God for forgiveness. That gets your heart right with God. How do you expect God to be right with you if you're and forgive you if you're not willing to forgive others which have done far less things to you than what every human does to God? In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, I read just verse 14 earlier. I'm going to finish with the second verse now. Reads this, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. If we know what he hears, no, if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. And he qualified with that saying, according to his will. So when we seek God and we ask according to his will, just like this whole passage, Jesus taught us how to pray. He asked us to pray according to God's will, God's kingdom, God be honored as holy, God to supply us, to forgive as he forgave, all of these things. If we are praying these things when God's will says that he hears us, and then what we, we will have whatever we asked him for. And again, I'm going to bring up the point. We don't always know God's will. God does not violate free will. That's why sometimes prayer doesn't happen the way it looks like we expect it to. When we are praying for someone we care deeply about, it's easy to get very passionate and passioned and to put our agenda on top of the prayer. But we are to be seeking God's will. God's will in it. And the hardest thing is not knowing what God knows. God is outside of time. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows all possible outcomes. That person that you love dearly and you care for dearly that you are praying about, he knows the best possible outcome for them within their own free will, without violating their free will. They still get to choose between him and, and the world. And he knows what the very best possible outcome is. We have to have faith in him. God taught us how to communicate with him, but, but knowledge itself doesn't make a good communicator. The other part needed to drive us to communicating properly is motivation. You gotta be motivated to do a thing, right? We know this. Motivation is pretty much key to everything. Like getting up in the morning. If you have a job you have to be at, or otherwise you're going to get fired or something, you're pretty motivated to get out of that bed. <laughs> the, alarm, the alarm clock's going to work. You're going to get out. You're motivated to move, especially if you have your motivation gets stronger. If you have a family, you've got people you're providing for, that motivation drives us out of bed. There's another type of motivation, though, that's far more powerful. Because the thing about getting up in the morning is if I don't have to get up in the morning, I'm not going to. Like, I'm going to hit the snooze button 85 times. <laughs> like, I'm just going to let that happen. I'm not going to get out of bed. But something I love to do, I'm going to hop right out of bed for that. I don't even need an alarm clock. 
in a couple of weeks, me and my wife are going on a vacation to celebrate our anniversary. And the day that we get up to leave for our trip, I know I don't need an alarm clock. I'm going to be nervous all night, just excited, waiting. I love going on road trips. Love to see the coast. It's probably what we'll do. I don't know. COVID's kind of changed our course several times. <laughs> but I don't need any kind of rule to force me out of bed in that case. I just want to get up. It's like a kid on Christmas Eve. You know, every other day of the year, you can't get your bed out at, at what? You kid your, your kid out of bed at like what? Eight for school? What is it? Eight, seven, something like that? Seven thirty? Can't even get them out at seven thirty for school. Christmas Eve night, <laughs> three a.m. We're up <laughs> and we're ready to party. Let's tear in. Let's go. You know, <laughs> like, like, because they're so excited. They love what they're about to do. It's not a have to. It's a want to. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. That is the purest motivator. It's a genuine motivator. It's not a rule. It's not a law. It motivates us because of our love for it. Which is why I think that Jesus included this in part of the final part of his prayer. He says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In order to love properly, Jesus knew that we were going to have to humble ourselves. If we want to pray for somebody else, we have to humble ourselves. Because when we have a hard time loving someone, it's because we have placed ourselves above them on a moral hierarchy. We view ourselves as a better. We view ourselves as more important. And God says, no, 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 no. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. You are all equal at the foot of the cross. You are to view everyone around you as valuable human life. So when we forgive others their debts to us, we have to place ourselves on their level. And then we ask God to forgive us. And the only thing that can happen when we're asking God to forgive us is our mind has to go to the cross. It has to go to what Jesus did for us. It has to go to the point where we recognize that even if there was no other human on earth and Jesus had to sacrifice himself, he would still have to die for our personal sin. Nobody, Mike said it once, uh, nobody can out-limbo Jesus. <laughs> nobody has stooped lower than Jesus to come down here to this earth. Something that quite powerful happens when we forgive others and humble ourselves. It produces a heart that is able to love appropriately because we're not holding ourselves above others. In Philippians 1, 3 through 4, we get to see just what love for a person can produce. Paul, speaking to the church in Philippi, which he dearly loves, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. What a cool prayer. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. My every prayer. What an encouragement. Paul thanks for every Remembrance, always praying with joy. He is spurred on by love for this church. He talks about it at length in the first chapter. If you ever want an inspiring um, way to encourage church, 
I should not have drank the coffee. I do this every morning. I drink coffee right before I speak, and then I've just got like burps all the time. It's the worst idea. But he is spurred on by love for the church, and he talks about it in length in, in the first chapter. It's really, um, it's a really great passage to follow along if you want to know how to encourage people uh, in your life. But he says, the, um, he says this very encouraging prayer because he couldn't pray God's, the Lord's prayer honestly about them and have joy if they weren't on the right track. So I find this incredibly encouraging. This church was so on track that when Paul looked at them and he says, Lord, in this church's life this morning, your name be honored as holy. If that wasn't true of them, his heart wouldn't have joy. <laughs> he wouldn't be encouraged, right? And when he says, um, your name or your, your kingdom come in this church today, again, he couldn't say that if that's not what they were all about and still have joy. I find this very encouraging. Paul knew how to pray. He learned from, he learned from the early church just as we do. He knew how to pray and he was full of joy. In the, with the church of Philippi. When he asked the Lord to strengthen them, the Lord's name being made as holy, he knew that it was true. The Lord's kingdom come, he knew that it would be true. The Lord's will be done, he knew that it was true. What a great reputation for this church to have. And when he prays them, they ring true. So he's filled with joy and thanks to God for every remembrance of them. And I pray for our church that that could be said of us. We don't have a Paul necessarily, um, but if there was a Paul and he came in here and he spent some time with us and then he got thrown in prison somewhere else and he's sitting there in prison praying, praying his heart out to the Lord about every person he could think of in our congregation, I, I would love to know that this is the response, that this is how we are viewed, that we follow God, that we are about his will, that we are about his kingdom, that we are that we forgive the way he forgives. This is like church goals for us. People used to post that on Instagram all the time. Life goals, relationship goals. So some cheesy picture. This is church goals for us. But it's more than that. It's life goals between us and God. Mike talked a few weeks ago about um, how every facet of our life is supposed to shine God's glory. So when someone prays about us and every facet of our life, should bring them joy. Should bring them joy. And it is possible. The church of Philippi was able to do it. To me, that's an encouragement. In Colossians 4.12, we see a man that is so self-disciplined in his prayer that he is actually described as being put in physical effort, like there's actual physical effort from him. It says this in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God's wills. He's not even at the church. <laughs> He's praying for them from afar. He's praying for them. He's wrestling for them in prayer. Colossae, they were a new church. They were growing. They had a lot to learn. They were doing very well. And he wanted them to succeed in Christ so much. He wanted them to be built up so much. He wanted to see them not fall apart. He wanted to see their lives strengthened so much that he wrestled in prayer for them. 
That's how he was described. And that's what prayer is when we are petitioning for others. It is a wrestling match between our own will, the spirit realm. The enemy wants to attack us in that area, and we are wrestling with the enemy in a spiritual realm and against our own will. That's where fasting comes in. You want to be focused? You want to discipline your mind? Start by disciplining your body. You got something really important you need to be praying about? Fast. Get your mind focused. Discipline your body and then enter into prayer. If fasting is discipline for your body to enter into prayer, prayer is discipline for your soul, your spirit. It writes us with God. It gets us on track with him. We enter into the proper motivation if we're following the way God taught us how to pray. And it writes our soul. It writes our spirit. It takes effort, and it's so worth the fight. It's so worth the fight. When you are wrestling in prayer, you are wrestling for somebody, a soul, a person that has intrinsic value. Their life is purely valuable to God. It means everything to him. It should to us, too. It's so worth the fight. We hear far too often, even in our area, in fact, I personally, from my childhood in this area, have known two pastors, one that fell away from the Lord through um, marital infidelity, and one that fell away from the Lord um, and began to misuse funds for the church, began to abuse the church. We see this in spiritual leadership. There is an attack that happens, and we see spiritual leadership mess up royally. And I think how many of them were writing their hearts before God every single day? How much stronger would they have been if before they started their day, they entered into prayer for their church, and they got their hearts aligned with God, and they said, this is my goal for the church, that your name would be honored as holy can't do that when you are leaving your wife. You can't do that when you are misappropriating funds for your church building. I want your kingdom to come. Again, you can't do that and be brutally hurting your congregation by entering into sin. And just like on the pastor to the congregation level, we in our homes have that exact same responsibility. Divorce in the church is the numbers are no different than divorce in the world. We can hurt family just as good as anybody, and we do. We're good at it. If we start every day in prayer aligning our hearts with God and asking for his will to be done, following his pattern set before us, how much stronger are we going to be to resist the enemy, to resist temptation, to stand against these things? We're still human. We still have, we still have free will. Can we still fall praying every day? Absolutely. Do we want to get stronger in an attempt to not? I sure do. A disciplined heart through prayer and fasting keeps a man of God's course or a woman of God's course and strengthens him or her to withstand temptation from the enemy. We're also told in Philippians 5 that if we submit everything to God through prayer and petition with thanksgiving that we'll receive the peace of God, the peace of God. <laughs> How many of us could use the peace of God? Which surpasses all understanding. Doesn't make sense. That is to suggest that when things aren't going well, you still have peace. 
for the purpose of guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because you see, if we are asking everything by the will of God, we can know without a doubt that even if we don't understand the outcome, God knows everything and is working his perfect will because we have asked for his perfect will. And it's far better than anything we could have come up with. We don't know the hearts of man. He does. It's far better than anything we could come up with. And finally, today, I want to leave us with this last encouragement. It's not just an encouragement. It's also an admonishment that we are to never stop praying for others out of a sense of love, even when it gets tough, even when it overwhelms us. We are to never stop praying for others out of love even when they have made themselves our enemies. There is no excuse. And the reason this is because we're following Christ's examples. And his example is the example that I want to leave us with, which is from Luke 23. This is the last thing that Jesus ever prayed for someone during his earthly ministry as a man. Before he died, before he was raised, this is the last prayer he uttered for other people. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Let's pray. Jesus, we can't thank you enough for the cross. And we certainly don't thank you enough for your example. Um, We don't know everything. We don't know how everything works, but you showed us how to live it. My prayer is that you would be honored and worshipped this morning, that we would be praising you with our whole hearts, that we would be encouraged by your example to be in constant wrestling matches for people we care about, for people we love, for the world, for our community. You put us in this community for a reason. We want to see it healed. We want to see it saved. We want to see our friends, our family, people we care about. We want to see them come to you. The more we align our hearts with you, the more we see this, and we ask that you continue to align our hearts with you, that you continue to remind us what is valuable in this world and what we are to be striving after. We come seeking your will, Lord. Please guide us as we go out to follow your will into our workplaces, our homes, to continue to honor your name as holy, to continue to worship your name, to follow your will with the goal of your kingdom come, Lord. Work on our hearts. Use us as we go out. Be honored by our worship. We ask this in your name. Amen.